0: This is Transistor.fm.
1: This podcast is brought to you by HoneyBadger.io. HoneyBadger is error monitoring for your web app. If there's an error, they'll notify you about it. They can even automatically add an error report to your ticketing software. Like it'll create a bug ticket for you. Really cool. If you have a web app, you need it. Head over to HoneyBadger.io and start a free trial.
2: Hey everyone! Welcome to Build Your Sass. This is the behind-the-scenes story
1: of building a web app in 2019. I'm John Buddha, a software engineer, and I'm Justin Jackson. And I, I'm too scared to watch that new Joker movie. It looks good. I, I was I was looking at the reviews on Twitter. That's where I get my movie reviews from, and. I noticed a lot of people wanted to see it. When you saw the trailer, did you did you feel like, okay, I got to see that?
2: Yeah, I thought it looked really good. I like Joaquin Phoenix as an actor.
1: Because I, I saw that trailer and I was like, nope, I, I cannot watch that and ever sleep again. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing is my son is like, I mean, for context, like I... I just got over my fear of The Dark Crystal. Like, that was just this year. I finally faced that fear.
2: Yeah, those are puppets. That's that's creepier.
1: (laughs) I've watched a total of two episodes of Stranger Things, and I can never do that again. Movies that get inside my head, I I just... I can't do it. But my kids are super into it. Like, my... Both my teenagers okay. have seen it. For, have you seen it? Yep. And and did that give you nightmares? No.
2: no. The new one, it, the part 2 was was honestly like more of a comedy. It was a horror movie, but every every horror f- scene was followed immediately by something really <laughs> funny.
1: Like, it was a funny movie. I I I just I don't know if I'm more sensitive than most people or what, but those movies, I still haven't even seen. Uh, the Dark Knight is that the one? Is that the first? Is that the one previous to this one with Joker?
2: Uh no.
1: Well, with Heath Ledger? Yeah, that was the. Yeah, okay. That one. Yep. I haven't seen that one. I, I've only seen the the Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson? Right. Yeah. 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 I if it's too creepy, it just gets inside my soul huh.
2: yeah i mean you know, certainly don't have to see it
1: <laughs> but you're gonna see it
2: uh eventually okay yeah i mean i'm in no rush
1: do you do you wait to, to see movies on the small screen or are you are you a big screen guy
2: either it depends on the movie okay um certain movies i think lend themselves to the big screen yeah quite a bit more than others yeah it's true like I want to see this new Brad Pitt space movie on the big screen because it it's supposed to be like gorgeous. It's like space scenes. Oh,
1: I haven't even heard of this. I,
2: yeah, I think it's out. It's out now.
1: I'm I'm so out of the loop.
2: Mo- movies like that where there's like a spectacle. Yeah,
1: yeah. Where yeah, you want to feel it a little bit. Yeah. All right. Last movie I saw in the theater was Rocket Man. The Elton John story. Oh yeah, that was a good movie. That was a good movie. Yeah i I like stuff like that. Rocket Man. I liked the one Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, uh, I like those are those are my kind of movies. Oh, uh, yesterday, yesterday was great.
2: Yesterday was good. That was great. Yeah, that was a fun movie.
1: Yesterday kind of reminded me of. Uh, it had a little bit of that Jared Hess flair. So Jared Hess is the writer-director of Napoleon Dynamite and uh, Nacho Libre and all these other comedies that I love. And there's a little bit of kind of offbeat, uh, uh, even the pacing and things in that movie. I like it when it's a different pacing, when it, they there's a few little uh, quirks in it. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, that was a great movie. Well, this is not a movie review podcast, but maybe we should start one. Uh, I want—I actually want to start this episode off by listening to this clip of Charlie Cameron. Have you listened to this yet? No. Okay, so you- we'll listen to this uh, in real time right now. President of Slate, uh, he's on the Digiday podcast here. So let's just listen to this, and we'll come back. We
2: started a company. uh, It was called Panoply. It's now called Megaphone. It's basically an ad serving. It's a CMS. Uh, Megaphone has a marketplace, uh, and we use that marketplace to serve our our
1: unsold ads. So, I mean, this is completely different than display advertising then. I mean, because, like, so much has swung to indirect channels versus direct channels. It's completely different for now. I think... uh, uh, you Is know, this going to follow the same story in uh, that display? I hope not, but yeah, I think. Why I think, do you hope not?
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> look what happened in display. Look what a lot of ad networks came in. And, and with that came a lot of really good things, right? There was a lot of efficiency. Um, a lot more data came into the marketplace, all really important. But, you know, um, uh, environment and, and brand safety things became an issue. W- when, when kind of the ad network thing comes into this business, uh, that host read will go away.
1: Let's pause right there. What do you think about that so far? So Slate was once a part of Panoply, and Panoply also had a product called Megaphone, which is a competitor of ours, and then Mm -hmm. they split those off. So now Slate is kind of the the content division, and Megaphone is the software division. That clip is so interesting to me, (laughs) (laughs) where he basically, the host asks, is this going to follow the same story as display ads on the web? And Charlie says, yeah, probably, but I hope not.
0: Yeah,
2: well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, right. I hope not either, but it's also up to the people running the ad businesses to make sure that
1: doesn't happen. Well, this is what's ironic to me, is and and it gets glossed over fairly quickly in the interview i i recommend pe- people go and listen to the whole thing it's in the show notes but the display ad business on the web is a cautionary tale we basically added you know at first it was you know banner advertising which was not super great but then we got kind of conscientious ad networks like carbon ads and they were really simple. They, if you had a popular blog, you could put carbon ads on your site, and you could make a fairly good living that way, uh, if, depending on how popular your blog was. But it seemed like a reasonable form of advertising. You know, if you wanted to target people who are the kind of folks that read Daring Fireball," you could put an ad on Daring Fireball. But then we added all of this layer, all of these layers of complexity on top, like user targeting, retargeting, harvesting user data, collecting data, and then putting it together with other data, tracking people all over the web. And the net result doesn't seem super great to me.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, the net result is that everyone's tracked, but also ad revenue is terrible. Exactly. it's really low, and then everyone's information is getting tracked and saved and processed and to the point where it's creepy when ads pop up because they know you so well that you think your phone is listening to you, but it's not.
1: Yeah. So you just created a connection that for some reason they don't say explicitly in this interview. And I do think it's interesting. You know, like newspaper publishers right now are not doing super great. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anyone who previously... Depended on display ads on the web, they've actually moved to podcasting (laughs) because the it's kind of like the old school ads. If you want to reach the five by five listener, or you want to reach the uh, this week in tech listener, or you want to reach you know who if if you can find a show that has the audience that matches up with your product, you can sponsor that show and the host will read an ad for you. And the right now, the CPMs for those ads are quite high. Uh, you know, like $35 per thousand downloads or something like that is probably even on... Well, that's probably... I, I don't know what's average these days, but it's ironic to me that Charlie here is saying... <laughs> I hope it doesn't go the way the display ads went. But right he's they've they've created a company that is going to drive podcast advertising the way that display ads went.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean I, yeah, I think there's a lot of the dynamic advertising in podcasting is I feel like a touchy subject to some people. Mhm. Some people like it, some people don't. But I think in order for it to work at all, you you have to track you have to track what listeners listen to Mm -hmm. but combine that with what they look at on the web so it's you're going to get in the same situation of well you looked at this stuff on the web you searched for this they now you're going to tie that back into what podcasts you listen to some somehow i don't even know if that's possible but
1: well this probably (laughs) this probably brings us to this dhh tweet right Which, you know, there's always these things that reverberate on the web. And you know it's big when people start DMing you. And so this happened September 27th. David Hannemeyer Hanson, Art19, which is another podcasting platform, wants to bring listener-targeted ads to podcasting. Fuck no. This is me quoting right now. Podcasting is the last oasis where listeners aren't being targeted by who they are, but on what they listen to. We will ditch Art19 for another provider for Rework Podcast immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, uh, I don't even know how David finds these things because I I hadn't seen this clip of Lex Friedman um, talking about this, but he somehow found it. And things happen very quickly. That was at 10.05 a.m. At 10.17 a.m., he tweets, the plan is to move to Transistor. (laughs) I feel pretty confident that they are not going to sell out to listener-targeted advertisement schemes.
2: I think he's probably right about that.
1: Although he should have checked with me first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... This was kind of a crazy day. In terms of revenue, um, Basecamp switching to us is not a huge deal, but in terms of cultural significance in this one uh, slice of the culture that you and I participate in, uh, having Basecamp as a customer is a, a big deal.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think we obviously we respect them. I mean, I, I respect uh, David and Jason's opinions on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I I do frequently enjoy a good DHH rant, whether it's on Twitter or on another podcast. Uh, he, he, one of the more, more recent rework episodes was about a lot of the p- problems that are popping up with Facebook and like privacy issues and stuff like that. And it was it was a pretty good a pretty good David rant in there that I quite
1: enjoyed. And and to their credit, they put their money where their mouth is. They have. If you go to the the base camp Instagram account, for example, there's just a single black photograph with the re- <laughs> with uh, a comment that says, "We believe that the Facebook business model is unethical." And by yeah. if you support them, you are basically supporting. I actually had a moment of panic <laughs> when when David said he was signing up for Transistor because I was like. I wonder if I have the Facebook pixel installed on our marketing site and I like (laughs) ran over (laughs) there like, Oh shoot. Do do we have that? Because uh, like a lot of companies, I think we're some of, uh, we've talked about this in the past actually, like we're forming our, our opinions and our values on these things. And uh, you know, it's possible that just as a part of my normal marketing stack, I, through the Facebook pixel on there. Right. Uh, We didn't have it. We don't have (laughs) it on our site. but No, we don't. There's a few different things to talk about here because it's interesting in a a few different ways. One is, I think, founder values. David made a decision based on his values very quickly there. Yeah. Uh, Like those values that come from the top, they kind of determine the direction of the company in all sorts of ways. (laughs) And it was kind of weird. it was crazy to see that happen, uh, kind of uh, so fast, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of crazy. Pretty quick.
1: So for us, I wonder what does this mean for us in terms like Let's just go back to the values topic for a second. First of all, you and I, how do we discuss these things, and then how do they become codified? Yeah, how do? Because it's like you and I—we're a two-person company. (laughs) Yeah, and we're basically—you know—everyone has individual values, and then we have to bring our individual values to the table, and somehow we have to figure out okay, what does this company stand for now? And I think we've done some of that so far. But yeah, what do you think about that? How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of
2: the stuff we've talked about behind the scenes, but we've never actually, we never, I mean, we don't have like a web page of our values necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I think think it's impossible if you're a small company of two people to not have your personal values bleed into the company values. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh,
2: I think we're aligned on most of that, if not all.
1: Yeah, we've been pretty lucky actually. Or uh yeah. or maybe some of this is just the we knew we could work together because if, if if we'd been hanging out before and you know, I was like uh man, I love Trump. I just love him. I love him so much.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> that that might have been hard for us to
2: I think it probably would not have worked out.
1: And here's an interesting thing. I got called out on this <laughs> on Twitter. I've been called out on this a number of times. But, you know, someone saying, basically, hey, Justin, be careful how much of your personal values and your personal leanings you talk about publicly because there might – he was he was kind of dancing around this thing. <laughs> it was funny. He's like, some people might view that – as an affront to their values, and then they might decide not to, to you know, buy your products or your services or whatever. Yeah.
2: I could see that happening, but I think I think I'm okay with that.
1: And I think even if we were on different ends of the political spectrum, we could have still worked together. It would have been probably been a bit harder. In the same way, it's probably hard to get married to somebody that votes differently than you. Um, hmm. It, it it just creates an additional layer of of uh, friction to every decision <laughs> um right. that that makes it hard I, and certainly we don't um we wouldn't deny uh someone to becoming a customer if they were different politically than us uh there is a line there though of of things that we will do or not do based right. on Values and and I think uh, uh, targeting people, uh, you know, with advertising, tracking people all over the web, retargeting. It feels like we're mostly aligned on that. Do you think?
2: I think so. Yeah. I mean, privacy concerns aside, like which are a huge deal, and it's something I you know agree with uh, with what you know David is is worried about building that type of software and platform doesn't even sound fun to me. Yeah. Like, I I don't want to I don't want to build that. Yeah. It sounds terrible.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, there's kind of two two sides to that, isn't there? There's the philosophical side which is when we started this company, one of the things we said from the beginning is that we want to build mindful technology. Meaning um Calm technology, technology that doesn't stress people out, technology that doesn't make people addicted, technology that doesn't take advantage of uh, weaknesses in the human operating system.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're. I think we're building software that, well, doesn't lend itself anyways to customers using it as much as possible. Like, we don't need customers to use it all the time as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Basically, the quicker they can get an episode out, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the listening aspect of it, obviously, you know, you want your listeners to listen to your show for lo- as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of a separate issue. So,
0: yeah.
1: And we did explore that too. It, certainly you can get addicted to a podcast, but it is a lot to podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and certainly you could be listening to a podcast when you should be spending uh, time with your family or paying attention to your feelings. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it is a lot harder to get addicted to podcasts. It it's just yes it happens. Uh yes, maybe our culture has their earbuds in too much. But when you compare the addictive nature of something like um uh what what's one of those games? Those terrible games. Candy Crush. Yeah, Candy Crush, that, yeah. <laughs> um or or uh, e-
2: Fortnite, I don't yeah, know, Fortnite
1: I mean... or and even the 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 dopamine rush that you get from browsing Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, yeah. It, we don't it doesn't have that same thing. It's not it just um and it, it's, it's not as it doesn't pull you in even though you can binge listen to a podcast. Um it, it's it doesn't feel the same as Netflix. Maybe this is me looking at this with rose-colored glasses. I don't know.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, but I mean, I think yeah, we want to build mindful software. We want to build software that allows you to get a sense of your audience, but not track your audience. Mm-hmm. I, I have. A, I don't think we're going to go that route ever.
1: Why don't you talk about the other side of that, which is when you said building that type of software doesn't sound like fun? Well, it just I.
2: It doesn't, it's not what I'm interested in with this company, right? It's It's not, I don't want to build an advertising analytics tracking platform. This. I mean, there are analytics obviously built into it, but I don't want to build an advertising network platform. That's not, I don't think that's why we're in this. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to necessarily become an ad network that sells advertising and makes money that way because... You know, I think you talked about that in a really early episode. Is you don't want to become an advert, an ad salesman. Yeah, like you don't want to, you don't want to have to reach out to advertisers and try to get them into our system. And that's not, that's just not why we got interested in this mm-hmm. space.
1: Yep, I have this blog post about product founder fit, and I quote Marco Arment in it. I don't know if you remember this, but he created, he had for a while the number one app on the App Store. It was called, um, it was an ad blocker. Do you remember this? No, I don't. September 2015, Marco Arment woke up to discover he had the number one paid app in the App Store. The app was called Peace, an ad blocker for iOS. Despite earlier successes like Instapaper and Overcast, Marco had never achieved this level of success before. He should have been ecstatic, but instead he was miserable. He described his inner conflict on his blog. And now I'm quoting, Achieving this much success with peace just doesn't feel good, which I didn't anticipate, but I probably should have. I still believe that ad blockers are necessary today, but I've learned over the last few crazy days that I don't feel good making one. Even though I'm winning, quote unquote, I've enjoyed none of it. And that's why I'm withdrawing from the market. I'm just not built for this business.
2: Well, I had no idea you even made that.
1: But that really articulates, I think, what we're talking about is every day you and I show up to work and <laughs> we we want to enjoy this. Yeah. If we were working on something that we didn't enjoy, why wouldn't we just go and uh, work for Salesforce?
2: Right? Right. But then you you know, you contrast that with like Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg and they are dealing with major privacy issues and they're I mean, I think the way they go about their business is really kind of detrimental to society in general, but mm-hmm. they don't seem to really feel bad about it. They don't seem to care. They're I mean, they're a public company, so they obviously have to make money mm-hmm. for their shareholders, but they don't seem to have any regret about the problems they've created.
1: Yeah. And that is because and this is applies to us as well, but so much of our bias so much of our bias comes from who is paying our salary. There's this great Upton right. Sinclair quote that says, "It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it." <laughs> right? Right. So, if you are an oil worker in Alberta, and that's what pays your mortgage every month. It's much more likely that you're going to lean politically towards, a, you know, a party that doesn't care as much about climate change. Right. It it shows you that it actually does matter. The businesses that we get into do matter. Uh, there's a friend of mine here in in Canada. He was a co-founder. Of a of software that basically helped people get more leads and so I think it was like scraping websites or something and and it would like grab people's email addresses i I'm not exactly sure how it worked and it was a good business like the 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 upside financially was really good, but he decided to quit because he just didn't feel good about it hmm. and the more that you become dependent on something like that then you eventually get into zuckerberg's uh situation where right. he is so dependent on the borg now he has to defend it at you know uh-huh. subconsciously he might he might not even realize that this is happening but when you've created this big machinery and it's all of your Status is wrapped up in it, and all your finances are wrapped up in it, and all of your public obligation as an employer and everything else is wrapped up in it. And now you've just has to defend this thing, this monster that you've created.
2: Right? Yeah. I mean, th- all of their money comes from advertising. So why would why would they re-evaluate and rebuild something that doesn't depend on advertising? Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they can't. They can't at this point. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the terrifying part of it is that they want to still keep selling as many ads as possible. So whatever protections they talk about putting in place for, I don't know, whatever fake stuff is going to come up with the election and all these, like they're still going to want to sell ads. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they really care where it comes from, which is kind of why I, you know, I I don't want, I don't really want us to ever advertise on Facebook and give them money because it's just going towards this machine that,
1: mm-hmm kind of doesn't really do society any good. And that might mean making some hard decisions in the future. For example, uh I interact with podcasters quite a bit on Instagram. Mhm. And eventually I might have to decide how complicit do we want to be with them, right?
2: Yeah, because that's a that's a Facebook company.
1: Yeah, I mean, even harder for me is Twitter. Twitter has kind of like <laughs> been able to, just because they're not as bad, they've been able to kind of become the safe choice that everyone's okay with. You know, David Hannahmyr Hansen's on there; he's fine with it. But yeah, I mean, we could we could uh, we could bring them to the. I keep wanting to say the witch hunt. You know, <laughs> we could we could bring them to the the public hanging and. And decide that they're no longer worthy, and I have so much invested right. in Twitter personally. That would be a, a a tough pill to swallow.
2: You know, and then there's Amazon, which is like this huge, huge mega corporation. Mm-hmm. We use them for our hosting and infrastructure. Yeah, I buy lots of things on Amazon, but like, I mean, they're also not a great company.
1: Yeah, and I and I wouldn't say that you and I align with Bezos and his values a ton. No. So, yeah, there's some the more you get down this train, the harder it is to figure it out, but I don't think that means we shouldn't wrestle with those issues. Right. So just because it's difficult doesn't mean we shouldn't we shouldn't have some let's let's confront this a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean there are conversations there that are worth having. Totally.
1: Let's take a break and do a non-targeted ad for active campaign. They've chosen this audience because, folks, they they think you're the kind of people that need something like this. It's customer experience automation for growing businesses. Uh, they've got some great tips on their blog. I was just reading this post about how to write better marketing reports. And I think this is something I'm going to be start doing for Transistor. Regardless of you know, if you're a one-person business or a part of a team, it's just a good practice to get into. Because it's a, a chance to know, identify how you're doing, where you can improve, and where you're succeeding and And they recommend a, a few different categories like search engine rankings, which are very important for most businesses, email performance, you know who's engaging with your email newsletter, leads and customers, how many first time visitors or buyers do you have? How many repeat customers? And then social media performance. Are people engaging with you on social media? Is it positive? Is it moving in the right direction? And I think you and I might add a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a values-based evaluation there too. Do we want to continue to invest on this platform or do we want mm-hmm. to you know, go somewhere else? Uh, so yeah, the biggest lesson from this post is tell and show the story with numbers, explain each point simply and succinctly, and this is all reports. These are reports. These are the, this kind of data you can pull from active campaign. You can start right now, ActiveCampaign.com slash build your SaaS. Start a free trial with that URL. You get a second month free, a free migration and two free one-on-ones. Wow, we really, we really got on fire there with that, that, uh, that topic. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear from our listeners on that because that will that will uh tickle the opinion bone of uh <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, let us know what you think, yeah, let we're us all, know what you think this... so maybe we should quickly talk about this, our numbers we've been looking at our numbers, and we're really close to a new milestone. I don't think we've quite hit it yet, I think we did, oh, we did well, it depends on where you look, okay, yeah. Let me take a look here.
2: We did according to Stripe.
1: Okay, so according to Stripe, we've hit 30K in MRR. According to Bear Metrics, we are 29671. Uh-huh. Um, I just wanted to talk about this because, uh, one, we keep uh, not threatening, but uh, I think we're on the verge of shutting down our public numbers. Uh-huh. And so while they're still public, I think it's it's good for us to to discuss these things. Uh, I know a lot of people check the numbers before they listen to the show. I I just think it's nice to touch base every once in a while and take a deep breath and just think about this. Uh, So what is, what does 30 K mean to you? Is it, does it feel significant? Does it feel, yeah. What, what are some of your thoughts? Uh,
2: I don't think this one feels as significant as let's say 20. I mean, it's, it's a, certainly a milestone. I mean, it, it's great. It feels good. It feels great. Mm-hmm. I mean, considering we had what, a slow August, slower. It's not like we went down, but yeah. Um, I don't think it feels as significant because we are already full time. Yeah. I don't know. We haven't really talked about this. I don't think, but like with the growth, like what is the next thing we're working towards? Hmm. Obviously, we can pay ourselves more. Hmm. Once we reach some other level, like what? what does that go towards? Is it more for us? Is it now we can hire someone else? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's why it's not quite as exciting because before it was, All right, will reach this point and now we can go full time. Yeah. And we did that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now I guess we got to figure out what the next milestone is and what that means for the company and,
1: yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. You kind of hit it right on the head. It's going to be less dramatic and emotional from here on out. It, it won't be, you know, when you're driving towards this goal of we we really just want to, you know, we, we want to go full time. We want to get paid for all this work we're doing. Um, we still want those things. I I think we still practically have quite a ways to go Again, I think around fifty k is is going to be a healthy company for two people living in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's still on my mind. But what we're going to do from here on out is is basically pretty boring. Uh, you know, we're going to release some new features. We're going to. Um, I, I shouldn't say, it's not all going to be boring. I think new features are going to be exciting. I think when we hire our first person, that'll be exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: think uh, whatever aspirations we have in the future will be exciting. And that will be, you know, do are, are we going to try to go big and take over the world and hire 100 people? Or are we going to really espouse this these values of staying small and having a nice life? You know, Honey Badger, uh, those three founders—they've hired, I think, a few other people. They work thirty hours a week. They just have this nice business that pays them well. They work thirty hours a week. They enjoy their work, and they're not trying to—you know—they're not trying to build a billion-dollar company. I think that will be exciting, in in the sense of, oh, I I can't believe we get to live our best life, you know. But right. in terms of drama, it it might not be as dramatic because, you know, now we've just, we, we hit the big milestone that most people are interested in, which is when are these folks going to get to go full time on it?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, we're still working back up to, I think, what we were making before, mm-hmm. but um, that'll, that'll come in time. I think it's, it's still growing and, um, that's not. That's not to say like us getting to 30k isn't something to be incredibly proud of because it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
2: All right. Like, like you said, it's just less exciting. Yeah. Because we've already hit like the the big milestone we were going for, which was going full time.
1: Yeah. And um, this is <clears throat> actually is interesting to me because I know so many people listening to the show that is their big goal is i want to build something that allows me to go full time and um and we often don't think about what comes after that and you know when i when i would talk to more experienced entrepreneurs like jason cohen or rob walling and they would say yeah you know like after you hit those first metrics it kind of just becomes a lot more day to day and like you know you still have Stressful times, it's going to get harder in a lot of ways. Um, that was actually one thing Jason Fried said in an interview is that it actually gets way harder from this point on. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, "Oh, great. Um, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so much of the of what you're driving towards is I just can't wait till this pays me something and I can quit what I was doing before. One thing I will say that I'm incredibly grateful for, you know, I've been doing my own business since 2016. I've never had a, since I went independent, I've never had a stable monthly income. And for the first time in my life, I can now plan, like I can, I can plan. This is how much I'm going to have personally in my bank account every month. Um, Uh I don't have to be like always wondering. Okay, like is this big payment going to come in, and I'll be able to cover my mortgage for three months? You know what I mean? Right. Um, That part has been really, really nice.
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty huge. Uh, We we've been talking about over the past week, like kind of preparing for the end of year financial tax situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you mentioned this in regards to that, too, is that we've been paying ourselves as a percentage of our gross revenue Mm -hmm. and leaving a bunch of money in the bank for expenses and taxes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have enough left over to where we can probably give ourselves a nice bonus at the end of the year Mm -hmm. and still be okay because we know that we basically get a deposit from Stripe every week. Yeah, So you were you had the mindset of let's keep you know x amount of dollars and x amount of months of expenses in the bank mm-hmm. in case something goes bad but but then you I think you realized as you were thinking about it like that we have money coming in all the time and it's on a regular schedule, yeah, so we don't necessarily have to have this massive like emergency fund in the bank, yeah. Um, and our expenses are pretty low, so
1: unless unless the bandwidth police come and um and <laughs> destroy <laughs> us and destroy our margins, uh, <laughs> there's certainly always threats. but yeah, that's that's right. been huge and and uh, i I do want to like emphasize personally, I've never had a Christmas bonus my whole life. And so if that happens this year, that will be a huge thing <laughs> for my family. Yeah. Um, also like I, I've been pretty open about my mental health and you know, those few years where I was depressed, um, we had to dip into our line of credit and, mm-hmm. um, we've been steadily paying that off. And so for the first time in a while we're I'm hoping if we do get a bonus this year, that that'll just, that will completely pay off my line of credit and, for the first time, I'll be able to kind of breathe easy again.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Debt is dead is no joke. It's a, definitely a pair of handcuffs you don't really want.
1: Yeah. And so, um, I know there's a lot of people listening that they're in business and it, it is stressful and it is month to month and I know how that feels. And now that I'm in this position, I. I wish that you and I had paired up earlier. In some ways, I was like I was in such a rut, you know, doing my own thing and trying to make this one thing work. That, um, yeah, doing this has been a real gift to have this business. That's again, it could it could crash any time, but to have the sustainable this the sustainable revenue right now, it it really has been a gift and. Um. Yeah, it's just it. It just feels like uh, it feels really nice. Yeah, so
2: I guess I guess that's something to keep in mind every time we hit one of these milestones, even if it's not a big celebration. Like, reflect on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, fact. totally. I mean, again, more transparency. Like, I I need to start saving money, and yeah, I, I you know between like raising four kids and you know, paying a mortgage and doing all this stuff. But you live in, you live in Canada. What do you have to worry I about? I know, I know. Isn't everything paid for? <laughs> uh, some things are paid for. I'm just uh, kidding. My goals have changed, for sure. Like, before, it was just survival. Like, if I can pay the mortgage and I can feed the family and I can pay our orthodontics bill, that's great. Um, yeah. And I, I know a lot of other families are in that mode. And by the way, there's... A, if you are in that mode and you are paying the mortgage and you're putting food on the table, and you paid for braces for your kid, you're already doing incredibly. Like that's awesome. Like you you do get gold stars for doing all of those things. I, I was always saying like no one ever like writes uh uh I don't know an indie hackers post saying hey guess what guys I paid my mortgage this month uh, and I paid my utility bill and. It's like you should yeah. get some gold stars for that. That's yeah. good work. The lights are still on. Yeah. The water is still running. Yeah. That's, that's we're celebrating. Um, but definitely, I think eventually as entrepreneurs, and this is Jason Cohen has really reminded me of this like, eventually you do need to get to the point where all of that risk you're taking comes back in some way and mm-hmm. in some ways i've I haven't really recovered financially from when my these two snowboard shops I started in my twenties when they when they uh closed down and you know I had to pay eighty thousand dollars to suppliers that was a, that's been a hard one to overcome, right I took a yeah. risk it did not pay off, and eventually. <laughs> As an entrepreneur, you've got to—it's got to pay off. And um, if I've learned any lesson since then, it's that you know you want to invest in something that pretty quickly, let's say within two years, is giving you a reasonable return on all of that effort.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And not necessarily financially only.
1: And not necessarily financially only.
2: Yeah, I think, right. I I I'm not going to speak for you, but I feel like you're on the same path. But like, we didn't take investment money because of what that would I think do to the business and how it would change it, and how it would change our relationship, how it would change our stress levels. And I think for me, like, I want to like build this business, but use it as an opportunity to sort of build a calmer, more intentional life, I guess. Like, I don't want to take venture money. I don't want to move to San Francisco and be in that rat race. I don't, like, none of that appeals to me. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So yeah, I think the reward is, you know, there's a financial reward you get from putting in hard work, but there's also a lifestyle, reward. I don't know, lifestyle or something like that. Like, to not have to worry about the stresses of, where's the money coming from or I don't want to, the stresses of managing 10 people or a
1: team or running this massive company. Totally. Totally. I mean, yeah. I'm sure, I, I want someone to build an AI that analyzes our voices for anxiety and stress throughout this entire podcast.
0: <laughs>
1: because I I think if you did that, I I'm sure people have noticed like, You are much more calm now that you're not doing both full-time work and building in the afternoon. Uh, People have told me, people that have been listening to my voice forever, have said, Justin, you are way less wound up now. You're more relaxed. And that, in a lot of ways, is what 30K a month means. It means I can finally breathe a little. And I'm not expecting it that it's not going to be hard, you know. Like Jason said, it, it might get harder in some ways, but on the other hand, there is this sense of calm that's been really nice. And I think if I never got here, if I was always in that haggard, just like if you're if you're if you're still working a full time job and doing this evenings and weekends forever, and there's just no relief, um. That would be hard. And so it would be it, yeah, this is this, this has been just, yeah, it feels good.
2: We can end soon on this topic. Mm-hmm. I had a friend ask me recently that um, he's like, what's, so what's your, what's your mindset right now? Like, wh- how, how are things feeling? Mm-hmm. And I think about it, but I don't necessarily, people don't necessarily ask me that. And like, honestly, it's like, it's pretty great at this point you know we're we're getting paid we're getting paid a little more every month mm mm-hmm. the freedom is there to kind of work how we want like we both enjoy it uh yeah it's i it's, it's all good
1: yeah it's a good spot yeah so folks uh, someone clipped this out for us and to remind us when things get really <laughs> shitty <laughs> 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 like when john and i are are fighting in public about something and then, uh, and, or everything, everything's (laughs) crashing in on us. (laughs) Yeah. Clip this out. Do do you want to end with this shaping progress? We're going a bit long, but but I think we we can talk about it pretty quick. Yeah. We can talk about it. So yeah. What do you, you, you put this in here small enough to wing it.
2: Uh, yeah. So we've been working on this private podcasting feature for the last what four or five weeks Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Um it's going well. Yeah. It's going really well, I think. We're aiming to be done on the fifteenth. Whether or not we released it that or not, I don't know. But yeah, it'll be pro- probably. You know, we've been working off of this shape up book that Basecamp wrote, Ryan Singer wrote at Basecamp. And he, he updated he constantly updates it. Yeah. Um
1: You know where this actually came from? One of our customers, Brian Ray, has a podcast called Bright and Early. Uh And he asked this question during the interview and Ryan said during the interview, I'm going to add this to the book. So I'll I'll put that interview in the show notes, but yeah, yeah, that's where it came from. So there's
2: a, there's a new section about um, adjusting to your size, which is about adjusting to the size of your team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think this was a, a question we initially had was like, how does this work with two people? Like if, and there's a section, you know, there's a, there's a, A section in here called "Small Enough to Wing It," which is, I think, us.
1: Yeah, (laughs) you
2: know, it's two of us. We're small enough to wing it. It's like from this book. It says when your team is just two or three people, everyone does a bit of everything. Since a few people are wearing many hats and performing many roles, it's difficult to commit long chunks of uninterrupted time to a specific project. Yeah, person doing the programming might also be answering customer support requests and dealing with an infrastructure issue at the same time, which is.
1: Definitely, Me. yeah, that's definitely us, yeah.
2: Uh, and so, you know, he kind of goes on to say, like, hmm. it changes a little bit yeah. when you have a small team. You don't really have to strictly adhere to everything. Yeah. And you might not work at, in six-week intervals. You might work in two- or three-week intervals, which I think we'll probably do next. Yeah. Like, this feature is a big feature.
1: Yeah.
2: I think it needed six weeks, but the next one probably doesn't.
1: This is really helpful. Just to have yeah. so, have someone kind of, clean things up a bit and like talk to us where we're at yeah nice i'm gonna put this in the show notes for sure so yeah overall uh it's going well all right why don't we flip the script i'm gonna read the patreon shout outs this week and i'll see if i can okay if i can if i can do it this is just this week only we'll be back to we'll be back to john Buddha next all week right. here we Let's go yeah you do James Sowers, like Flowers from Userinput.io, Travis Fisher, Matt Buckley from nicethings.io, Russell Brown, Evandro Sassi, Prad Yumash from Brecker. Oh, sorry, PD. Noah Prale, David Colgan, Robert Simplicio, Colin Gray, Josh Smith, Ivan Kerkovic, Brian Ray. Man, it's been nice hearing you pronounce some of these because I, <laughs> I I just <didn't> remember. <laughs> Miguel Piedrofita. Shane Smith, Austin Lovelace, Simon Bennett, Corey Haynes, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis, Dan Buddha. DanBuddha.com, Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Schukert, Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Junta.
2: Junta. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was worth it. Just read that.
2: We'll see how he gets. We'll see how
0: he reacts uh, to that. One.
1: Kyle Fox at getrewardful.com and our sponsors, Active Campaign and Honey Badger. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Podcast hosting is provided by transistor.fm. They host our mp3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm/justin and get 15% off your first year.